Orlando Baptist Church, wherever you're at, if you're watching us at home on live stream or if you are in one of our live stream rooms. So I'm not going to be able to hear you this morning, but I want to do a little test, okay? Uh, so if you are in the Alive room, in our youth room right now, just make some noise in the room. We're just doing a little test, okay, to see if you can follow along. Um, somebody will report back to me later, I guess, whether you... Uh, whether you've made some noise or not. Hey, how about our small auditorium, our OBC Kids Auditorium? You guys up and running in there? Let me hear you. Or not. Uh, and how about uh, in the library? I know we've got some folks in there. Glad you guys are with us. And I know we've got a handful of people up in the front lobby. So thank you all for joining us this morning. We're going to continue our study in the book of Psalms. And today we're going to be in Psalm 139, which is an incredible psalm uh, that makes much of who God is, and then it's, a, it's an incredible psalm that is so encouraging in my life. Uh, so it's a, it's a psalm about the God who knows us, and this morning we're going to talk about the God who knows. That's the title of the message, but before we get into it, I want to ask you a question. How many people in your life really know you? I mean, they know everything about you. They know all the, you know, all the quirks and all the weird things about you. They know your embarrassing nickname from when you were in high school, right? They know about the awkward middle school years. You know, they, they really know you, not just periods of your life, because I think for some of us, when we were a kid, there wasn't that much to know. And as we grew older and we became you know, more complicated. People knew us at different stages of our life. And, and now, for those of us who are adults and raising kids, our, our kids know us at a certain level. Our spouse knows us at a certain level. But, but how many people in your life really know you? I mean, from beginning to end, they know everything about you, all the details, all those secrets maybe that you would even try to hide. The question is this morning, how many people know you like that. I mean, know the real you. Not, not the you that you want to impress people with, but they know the real you. So how many people would that be in your life? It, it, would anybody say there's 10 people who know you that well? Or, or maybe five people. Are, are there five people in your life that know you at that level? Or are there two people or, or even one person that knows you at that level? The truth is, most of us don't even really want people to know us like that. We don't really want people to know us in that deep kind of way because that, there's an incredible vulnerability that goes along with that. But this morning, we're going to see that God knows us. He, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He know, knows us better than our spouse or our parents or, or anybody in our life knows us. God knows exactly who we are. So we're going to read this morning out of Psalm 139, and I'm just going to read a few verses uh, to get us started off this morning. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read uh, about eight verses together this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 1. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen, and I'm going to move over here to the screen, and we'll go through it together. It says this, Lord, you have searched me and know me. It says, Keep moving. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. 
Then verse 17 says, God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, I am still with you. This morning, we're going to talk about the God who knows. We're going to talk about the God who knows us. But before we get into the message, let's pray, all right? Well, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who knows us. You know all about us, every detail of our life. And God, not only do you know us as individuals, but, but God, you know everybody on this planet who has ever lived on this planet. God, there's about 7.8 billion people right now on our planet, and you know each of them. The New Testament says you've numbered the very hairs of our head. God, you know us. And so we are overwhelmed. As David says in this psalm, this kind of knowledge is too wonderful for me. How can I even hope to understand it? And so, Lord, this morning as we talk about your greatness, as we talk about your knowledge, as we talk about your power and who you are, God, I pray that you would be exalted. And then, God, I pray that you would move us to respond to you with submission because you are the God who knows us. You are the God who is and who is to come. So, Lord, be honored through your word today. God, encourage us, challenge us, give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're going to go through this passage, and uh, we're going to go through the whole passage this morning, but we'll go pretty quick, and it, it kind of breaks down into five sections. And the first one is this. It's what we already read, verses 1 through 6, where David says, you have searched me and you have known me. It says, you know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. This passage points to a God who knows us. He, it says that he searches us. What an incredible thought that, that God is interested enough in my life and your life to, to search us out. He searches us and he knows us. He doesn't just know us generally, but he knows when we sit down. He knows when we stand up. In fact, it says he knows our thoughts from far away. Now, that doesn't mean he just is high up in heaven and we're here on earth and he knows our thoughts from a distance. It means even before we think those thoughts, when those thoughts are far from our own mind, God knows those thoughts. It says he observes our travels and our rests. He is aware of all our ways. Verse 4 says, before a word is even on our tongue, God, you know all about it. I mean, before the electrical impulses in our brain fire up the synapses of our mind to, to articulate a word, God knows exactly what's coming. It's not just like when you were a kid and you said something at the same time, right, as your friend, and you said, Jinx, you owe me a Coke or you owe me a motorcycle, whatever your version of the Jinx game was, right? It's not just that God can finish our sentences like Hans and Anna. It's, it's deeper than that, right? It's the God who knows what we're going to say. He knows our thoughts before we even know them. Verse 5, it says, you've encircled me and you've placed your hand on me. It's this idea of, of in God's knowledge and presence, he's all around us. And David says, this wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's too lofty. I am unable 
to reach it. The idea that, that God knows all, I don't know about you, but it's kind of mind-blowing if you start to think about it. I mean, human knowledge is pretty impressive. At this time in history, the amount of knowledge, the amount of information that is available to all of us at, uh, at just uh, you know, some keystrokes on the computer, the, the internet and the World Wide Web has given us all kinds of information. Knowledge is everywhere. You've heard it said knowledge is power. And even beyond all of the human knowledge that's ever been accumulated, God still knows more. It was estimated in the year 1900, there, there's a scholar and futurist, his name is Buckminster Fuller, and he estimated in the year 1900 that knowledge, human knowledge, doubled every 100 years. So every century, the amount of human knowledge doubled. So what people knew from 1800 to 1900, it, it just about doubled in that amount of time. After World, World War II, it was estimated because of technology that knowledge began to double every 25 years. So now every 25 years, knowledge is doubling. In the internet age, uh, now with all that's available to us, knowledge doubles every 12 months. And, and the more technology progressive, it's believed that knowledge, human knowledge, will double every 12 hours. So we went from 100 years to 25 years to 12 months to half of a day, 12 hours. Human knowledge is doubling, and it just keeps accumulating and piling up. And some of it's really helpful. Some of it's really stupid. It, you know, where did your favorite celebrity eat dinner this weekend? And what are, how did they style their kids' hair this week? <laughs> human knowledge trivial and deep and profound and ridiculous, but all of it, God knows all of it, and he knows the knowledge that is yet to come because he is a God who knows all. I mean, does that blow anybody else's mind just a little bit? The term that we use uh, for this God who knows all things is omniscient. God is omniscient. That means that he has all knowledge. God is omniscient. And he has all knowledge. Everybody say that with me. Omniscient. You. Okay. I don't know if you said it or not. So if you're in a room and your neighbor didn't repeat the word, I want you to give them a little elbow and tell them, okay, you have to really do it this time. Okay? Is everybody ready? Okay. Omniscient. Now you say it. Omniscient. This phrase omniscient means omni, all, uh, sentient is, is kind of the word knowledge that God has all knowledge. He is omniscient. He knows all things. There are things that, that scientists are still baffled about. There are things that we don't understand. What is dark matter? What is dark energy? What happens inside of a black hole? How in the world does gravity actually work? What, how does human consciousness work? How does time work? When did life begin? All of these questions, scientists and and, and humanity has been grappling with all of these things, and God knows them all. All we can do is make our best guess. And in 100 years from now, everything that we thought we knew will be totally different, but we have a God who knows all. Only God knows when creation began because God was there at the beginning and spoke life into existence. Only God knows when it will end. Only God knows the day and the hour that Christ will return. What about this? God has never learned anything, 
right? God has never learned anything because he already knows all things from the very beginning. He already knew all things. So he doesn't learn. God doesn't change. When scripture says God is unchanging, it's because he already has all knowledge and all power. God doesn't learn anything. He's never been surprised, right? The old pastors used to say, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Because God is omniscient. He knows all things. We serve a God who knows all things. But wait, there's more. The passage continues in verse 7. Move over here to the screen. It says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. What an incredible thought. Not only does God know all, not only is God all-knowing, but he is also everywhere. The, the word that we use is, is this word, omnipresent. He is in all places. God is omnipresent. He is in all places. This passage that we just read talks about that no matter where we go, we cannot escape the presence of God. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, Sheol is a term for the place of the dead in the Old Testament. You are there. If I settle on the western horizon, you are there. Wherever I go, you will lead me. You will be with me. You will walk with me. God knows all, but God is also in all places. Scripture says the whole earth is full of his glory. That's a picture of this presence of God that is in all places at all times. Now, when this passage talks about if I, if I go to the western horizon, you're there. If I, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. It doesn't mean that God will beat you there. It means that whenever you arrive, he's just as present in that place as the place that you already left because he is in all places at all times. As a church right here at 500 South Cimarron Boulevard in Orlando, Florida. God is present with us, and he's just as present with us as he is with a church full of believers across town, and he's just as present with them as he is at a church on the other side of the globe in China or in Kenya or, or wherever we go on this earth. God is there. He is present, and he is just as present on the planet Pluto or the dwarf planet or the whatever Pluto is, he's just as present there as he is right here on earth with us. And not only that, he's just as present in our universe as he is at the very outer edge of the cosmos because God is omnipresent. He is in all places at all times. Just kind of let that sink in a little bit. That's the God that we know. That's the God that we serve. He has all knowledge. He is in all places. In fact, if you can wrap your mind about around this idea, God is not just in all physical places at the same time. He is in all times at the same time. And I don't know how that works, but I know that God is outside of time 
because he created time. I'm not going to pull that thread too much because, you know, we might crack. But God is all-knowing. God is all-present. He is everywhere at all times. David says, not even the darkness can hide me because even darkness is light to you. But wait, there's more. The passage continues in verse 13. Let's read it together off the screen. It says, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. The last attribute of God that we're going to talk about this morning is this. He is omnipotent. He has all power. God is omnipotent. He has all power. He is the creator and the sustainer of life. Only God has the power to create life. We can create lots of incredible things in, in, through the technology that, that God has graciously given to humanity. We can, we can create things, we can, uh, we can form things, we can make things better, but only God can create something out of nothing. God spoke life into existence, and this passage tells us that he creates us within our mother's womb, that God is intricately involved in the process of bringing life, that before we ever existed, before we were a twinkle in our parents' eye, as the phrase goes, God was working and he was creating. He is omnipotent. Only he can create life. Only he can sustain life. The book of Colossians says that in Christ, everything is held together and has its being. The reason the universe just doesn't fly into utter chaos is because God is holding all things together through Jesus Christ. This, these principles right here in this passage about God's um, intricate involvement in creation is, is why as Christians we should be good stewards of all that God has made. We should be wise caretakers of all that God has created. This, this passage here out of Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14 gives us our ethic for the sanctity of human life as Christians. The idea of murder is, is unthinkable to Christians because God created life. Taking the life of another that God created is an abomination to God. He is the one who created life. And, and this passage goes on to tell us that he began to create life in the womb of a mother. This passage informs our stance on abortion as Christians, right? This is not a political issue. This is not an issue about women's rights. This is not an issue about having the right to choose. This is an issue about God's power. This is an issue of, of the sanctity of the life that God created and carefully formed in a mother's womb. This passage shows, shows us that life begins at conception, that before a, a child ever has a thought, that God is working. In fact, let's continue to read in, in verse 15. Let me move to the screen and let's read this together. It says, My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. 
when I was formed in the depths of the earth. And verse 16 says, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. What an incredible thought. That God saw us, that, that he carefully formed us. Verse 17 then says, God, how precious your thoughts are toward me. How vast is their sum. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. This section of Psalm 139 shows us that the omniscient God who knows all things, past, present, and future, that the omnipresent God who is, who is present in all places at all times, the omnipotent God who is the creator and sustainer of life, who spoke life into existence, who intricately forms life, tells us that this God is personal. The omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God is a personal God. He's not just an all-powerful creator. He is a loving creator. He is a personal creator. If he were only powerful and all-knowing, that wouldn't really be very helpful for us. I mean, we would just be like ants to him. But scripture makes it clear. This passage makes it clear that he has thoughts for us. And David tells us that those thoughts are precious. To know that God is powerful doesn't change us. But to know him personally will transform our lives if we will submit to him. But we must choose how we're going to respond to this omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. It's not enough just to know about him. We need to take these truths of who he is and apply them in our lives. There's, there's really three principles in Bible study, um, and, and some of you are familiar with this. The, the first one is observation. When you read a passage, you read, what does it say? And this passage certainly tells us that there is a great and powerful God who knows us and who sees us and, and who formed us. It also tells us uh, that not only do we observe that, but then, then we interpret it. What does it mean? What does it mean that there is this kind of God? And, and what did it mean to the original readers of this passage? But the last part of Bible study is application. What does it mean to me? What does it mean in my life? How does it change me? How does it transform me to know that the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God knows me and cares for me. This passage continues and it shows us there's a couple of different ways that we can respond to this kind of God. Verse 19, David is, is writing these words and, and he kind of he goes off on a little rant. Let me read it for you. It says, God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. The first option when we think about this omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, the first way that we can respond to him is by rebellion. And David talks about those who would rebel against God in this passage. 
he really talks about two different ways that we rebel against God. The first one, in verse, uh, verse 20, he says, those who invoke God deceitfully or who swear by God falsely. These are people who try to uh, make God fit their own means, to make God fit their own desires, that, that try to create a God in their own image. And man, throughout history, we've seen people who have done horrible things in the name of God, who have committed atrocities in the name of God, who have tried to cause people to submit and cower to them in the name of God. And God will judge those people harshly. They've tried to use God for their own benefit. They've tried to make God fit their own desire, tried to make God in their own image. The second in verse 21 are those who just rebel against God, who just out and out say, you know what, I don't care. I don't want anything to do with it. David says, Lord, I, I, I hate those who rebel against you. David asked God to come quickly and judge these rebels. But here's the good news. God is more patient than David. <laughs> right? David said, come now, kill them quickly. I hate them with extreme hatred. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 tells us, Verse 9 says, God doesn't delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. We all deserve God's judgment. The truth is, we're all like these rebellious men that David is talking about. There are times when we want to make God fit our own agenda. There are times when we want to just ignore him altogether and do things our own way, but God is patient with us. 1 Timothy 1.15 says that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Luke 5.32, Jesus says, I didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. Romans 5.8 says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus Christ, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The last two verses show us the proper response to this great God, and that is submission. David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. This morning, we have a God who is omniscient, who is omnipresent. He is in all places at all times. He is omnipotent. He is the creator of all things. He holds all things together. The question is, how will we respond to this kind of God, this all-powerful God who is also a personal God? How will we respond to him? Will we rebel or will we submit? That's the question before all people at all times. God, through Jesus Christ, made a way for those of us who would surrender to him to have salvation. Scripture says there is no one righteous, not even one. We're all born into sin. We're all born with rebellious, stubborn hearts. But through Jesus Christ, God came. He came to take the judgment that we rightly deserve for our rebellion and to save us. 
we must surrender. We must submit. We must repent from our sin and from our own way and turn to him for salvation. This morning, this psalm tells us that God is transcendent. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. He is all-powerful, and yet he loves us. He knows us. He seeks us. And what will you do with this omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God this morning? Will you surrender or will you rebel? And maybe you don't think you're really rebelling because you're, you're using the name of God to try to move your own agenda forward. But if it's not full submission, it's not submission. How do we submit to God? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 3, that those who have believed on the Son of God are not condemned. However, those who have not believed are condemned already. First of all, we acknowledge that there is a God who is the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator. And that he is God and we are not. He calls the shots, not us. And we acknowledge that in our lives we have tried to be in control and because of that we are sinners we acknowledge our sin to God. And just like David said in, in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he said, search me and know me, God. Is there any wicked way in me? And the truth is, we don't need God to tell us about all of our wickedness because we know it. I know it. You know it. But the passage ends with lead me in the everlasting way. If we will submit and we will surrender to this all-powerful God. He will give us life everlasting. He will lead us in the everlasting way. Now this morning, if you've never come to a place of faith, today is a day that God is calling you to surrender. He is a God who is all-powerful and yet a God who knows what's best and wants what's best for you and has the power to pull it off. Will you surrender to him this morning? Christian, maybe you're trying to do life on your own terms. Maybe you're living with worry and fear. I want to remind you this morning that God already knows what you're going to face. He knows the storms that are coming. And he's there already ahead of you. He will be with you wherever you go. And he is all powerful. He has the power to solve whatever situation you are facing and so we can trust him we can rest in him how will you respond this morning to that kind of God this, I'm going to lead us in a prayer um, this morning if God is calling you maybe God is calling you to surrender and, and to submit to him for salvation if that's you this morning I would just ask you to confess to God that you're a sinner, that you have tried to do life on your own terms. Say, God, forgive me for my sin. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I repent of my sin and I turn to you for salvation. I ask you to save me. Help me to walk in new life. If that's your desire to follow Christ this morning, man, we want to know about it. Um, there's 
room hosts in every single room, and I would just ask the room host to stand up right now and identify yourself. And if if there's somebody who wants to make a decision this morning, the room host would be glad to pray with you this morning and help you take your next step. Maybe this morning you just need to be reminded that that God is all-knowing and all-present and all-powerful and that he can handle whatever you're facing. And this morning you just need to surrender to him and say, God, search me and know me. Are there any anxious thoughts in me? I surrender them to you today. However God is calling to you, you to respond, I invite you to do that this morning. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you are a God who knows us. You know everything about us, our fears, our shortcomings, our failures and our flaws. You know them all and you love us more than we could ever hope to think. God, you are present with us. You are with us right here and right now and you will be with us in the future. Jesus said, even until the very end of the age. And you are all-powerful, God. There is no situation too big for you. And so we trust you. We surrender to you. We submit to you. This morning, God, for those who are living in fear, who are, who are unsure about circumstances and situations that they're facing, God, I pray that they would rest in you this morning. God, for those who need to submit to you, to turn to you for salvation, I pray that you would call them this morning and they would respond. Lord, for all of us, just give us a greater vision of who you are, that we would know that our God is mighty. He is the everlasting God. So, Lord, we honor you, we glorify you this morning. Thank you for this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Pastor Dustin Janney. Thank you so much for joining us online for worship today. If something spoke to you from the message or if you have a question about it, we'd love for you to share that with us. Just comment below or send us a message. And if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we are so excited for you. We believe there is no more important decision you could make. We'd love to connect with you and help you take your next steps in following Jesus. Again, thank you so much for joining us online today. We hope to see you soon.